very diligent effort to get these writings of the apostles, the writings of, of Scripture, uh, out into the churches and that the apostles had their stamp of approval and authority upon all these things. For remember, remember, the apostles have the mind of Christ. If they read the epistle of, of Jude, they would have known that this had this was the will of the Lord for this to be written unto the brethren, and and so uh, and so it would go. Even consider the Gospel of Luke, um, uh, very uh, the, the Gospels in general, the, the Gospel of Mark. Um, we have to we have to have this understanding. I think we don't have. I don't think the loose ends that are worried about today were really a loose end in this day. I think things were being very well managed uh, because, remember, this is the workings of God, and the providence of God was certainly upon the work at that time. Now, Jude's writing in this epistle is in accordance with the apostles as it must be. And, by the way, as our preaching and our teaching today must also be in accordance with the apostolic message, with the Word of God in general. And if there's a contradiction between what we say and the Word of God says, I think the error um, needs to be understood to be our own. But our goal and our, our place, really, is to make sure that that is not what's occurring. So when we look at these epistles, we need to have a real appreciation of every single thing that is said. Um, because it all is weighty. It has a lot of um, information. Uh, much of it, of course, information that couldn't have come from anywhere but uh, revelation from heaven. And I, I just think that is incredible. And if we look at Jude, we're going to see that. As the apostle Peter wrote of the impious or ungodly men causing division with the assemblies, within the assemblies of Christ, so also we find Jude writes to warn the brethren of their punishment, that is the punishment coming to these uh, impious people, as prophesied by the Old Testament prophets, and not just one Old Testament prophet, but nearly all make real, uh, real reference to this end time situation and the punishment of the uh, gainsayers and those teaching and uh, prophesying falsely. But we can look at just a, a scripture here in Malachi. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse uh, 13, and then we'll go into chapter 14, the first verse. Remember the Malachi, probably the last prophet within the Old Testament period, and we had a long period of, of uh, silence as far as uh, prophets of God, almost 600 years or 400 years. Uh, but in verse 13 it says, Hard against, 
me have your words, have been your words, says Jehovah. And you have said, what have we spoken against thee? You have said a vain thing to serve God. And what gain when we keep his charge? And when we have gone in black because of Jehovah of hosts. And now we are declaring the proud, happy, yea, built up have been those doing wickedness. Yet they have tempted God and escaped. So this is what men were saying about God in the days of Malachi and before. Verse 16. Then have those fearing Jehovah spoken one to another, and Jehovah doth not attend and hear. And written is a book of memorial before him of those fearing Jehovah and of those esteeming his name. And they have been to me, said Jehovah of hosts, in the day that I am appointing a particular treasure. And I have had pity on them, as one hath pity on his son who is serving him. And you have turned back and, and considered between the righteous and the wicked, between the servant of God and him who is not his servant. Chapter 4, verse 1. For lo, the day hath come, burning as a furnace, and all the proud and every wicked doer have been stubble, and burnt them hath the day that comes, say Jehovah of hosts, that there is not left to them root nor branch. Now, that particular passage is done in a form of a narrative showing men speaking of God and God responding. And saying here in the first in the in chapter four, talking about the end of things when when all of the questions and charges against God will be everything come to a completion. That's what's happening here. So the Jews of two thousand years ago of AD um sixty four, sixty five had an understanding of the nearness of this sort of refining fire that was coming upon the covenant people of God. And they understood that the blessed would be taken care of, just as God had said in Malachi. They will be looked at as a son, but those that have criticized and refused him will be as stubble in a fire. So as we read this epistle, remember this. This is, the, this is the overview of this time period. This is the emotion of the day. You know, we know what emotion of the day. It changes day to day sometimes, doesn't it? We live in, you know, the emotion of a virus today, week after week after week of it. That's what everyone's thinking about. Well, believe me, this idea of the end of the covenant, the culmination of all things, was at hand in Israel, and they knew that it was coming. The rabbis of the day wrote of it, how these things 
the dread was upon their 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 people, those that served the temple of that day. Great dread, great signs from heaven that there was a, a change coming, that the presence, the parousia of Christ was at hand. That's the overview of this time period. So when we read the text, this this is this is what people are knowing, thinking, and the atmosphere. I want to talk about some facts here um, about the Epistle of Jude that, that we're very sure these are pretty pretty good facts. Um, the authorship, um, the name Jude. Um, the man's name was would have been Judas, uh, but using Jude. Uh, probably because there was a, a number of other uh, Judases around. That was, Judas was not a real uncommon name, uh, as many of these other names like Simon and and uh, John. And these weren't uncommon names. But this is Jude, and he makes a distinction. Jude, the brother of James, um, that we read about in Matthew 13, also called Judas uh, in, in the text in the Bible. It's also found in uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 3, I think. But here in Matthew 13, verses 55 and 56, Jesus is in his um, hometown of Nazareth and has been speaking to them. And someone came up and made this proclamation, Is this not uh, the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James, and Jose, and Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then to this one all these? In other words, how can he be talking to us in the way he's speaking to us? How can he be the the fulfillment of the scripture that he read to us? You know, and they were offended by this. I have some sympathy with their thoughts there, but they needed to continue listening instead of cutting off the conversation. You see, that's what they were doing. And Jesus responded to them about a prophet is without honor, is never without honor except in his own country. Well, this is the action. Now, consider these verses. You know, there's a great controversy in Christendom concerning the the brethren of Jesus. Um, and there's a large, large, probably the largest denomination that is adamant about the fact that Mary had no other children. Um, even in light of Scripture, so they take the word brethren and want to use it in the broadest term possible, which would, if they take it out to the very broadest term possible, it would be all the sons of Adam, okay, and Eve. Is that what the brethren word means here? Isn't this a little more localized maybe in Nazareth within the household of, of uh, Mary and Joseph? Oh, I think the, the context makes that sort of a statement, even though 
the word itself can be used in that way. Uh, here, we have to understand that when we're talking about brothers and sisters, we're talking about those of the household of Joseph and Mary in Nazareth. And Judas, or Jude as he's called here, the brother of James, being one of those um, children. And of course, age-wise, he would have been younger than Jesus, so all of these children younger than the age of about 33 in, in years, if you will. So um, I think we don't have a lot of controversy there except for the, the heresy of, of the idea of Mary having no other children. Of course, the reason for that has nothing to do with this. It has everything to do with a false teaching concerning uh, Mary being sinless. Um, of course, that would then have to fall to her mother being sinless, and pretty soon it gets ridiculous. But um, th this is an issue that I think is resolved in Scripture, and that should be enough for us or anyone. As I said, the date probably A.D. 64, 65, maybe even late as 66. It certainly was circulated in these later years in, in, into the 60s. Written from Palestine, I imagine, probably the Jerusalem area. Um, obviously, I think Jude and, and, and most of, there was a large uh, contingency of, of uh, Christians, the people of the way in Jerusalem, surrounding a number of the apostles that were still there. Some went out here, there, and others went out, uh, such as uh, Philip the Evangelist and and others went out and lived in other places. But I think Jude, by the fact he's using the terminology probably spoken within the, the Jewish or the Jerusalem assembly, I think he was probably from that group. Um, he calls himself a bondservant of Jesus the Christ. So even though he grew up in the household with Jesus, the eldest son of Mary, he now had an understanding that Jesus is the Messiah from the tribe of Judah. And he is indeed a bondservant of this Jesus who is the Christ. And who was the letter written to? Well, Jude says, the beloved of God. So that would mean all those that are faithful and loyal and obedient to God is the beloved of God, those called unto the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the known world to them. That's who the letter was written to. It's a general letter in that way. But it certainly is specific in nature as far as topic goes. He goes on to say, kept for Jesus Christ in his presence in the last day. Um, kept. He was called and kept. It's You'll find that it's in the middle voice, uh, making it rather, uh, we need to understand that the, the fact that the calling that God gives to people, the calling God give, gives to man 
is a calling that needs to be responded to by those hearing the call, by those hearing the words of God, by those hearing the preaching of the gospel. You don't you think Jude had to make a decision regarding Jesus as being the Messiah? This this was a this was an issue for him. Uh, you know, we, we have in the scripture there was a time when the family of Jesus really thought that he had lost his mind. Jude being one of that group. But now he had answered the call of Christ and he was being kept in Christ. But you see, it's his actions also that are involved in this. Um, And uh, some of our Greek has it in the middle voice, others have it in the uh, passive. Uh, But I believe because of the action of the decision, it it calls, I believe, the middle voice is probably very good here. Um, In other words, there's actions that go along with our belief. There's, an, there's actions, our actions, that are required for uh, the call that we feel, the tug of the gospel, the, uh, as Romans 1.16, the power of the gospel. It takes a response. It takes a person and the, the actions of that person uh, to make it legitimate. Uh, the, the next fact, if I may call it that, is this epistle along with the other New Testament writings, uh, the Gospels and Acts and uh, the rest of the epistles and Revelation are all part of what may be called uh, the group that fell under the idea of apostolic canonization. That is, the apostles of Christ without any known differences that we know of, of opinion, certified all that we know as the New Testament and all of this before A.D. 70, uh, where there were no apostles left, of course, at that time. Not many Jews left in the world even. But these things were accomplished by then uh, as far as now the the uh, protection of and the collecting of and the putting these things into uh, codex form and these other things, this all followed afterwards and not, not the work of the apostles. But the apostles informed the congregations, the churches, the Christians in general of the canonization or the, the ordering out um, of, these, of these writings. Jude falls into that category. And the last thing here is that Jude, and as we read in 2 Peter, and Revelation all deal with the false teachers that were coming out of, that's a word, out of, they came out of the assemblies of Christ. That makes, making them, of course, apostate because they had come out of, and let's read a couple scriptures uh, about who these people are. Later on, we'll read uh, some other things concerning this condition. Revelation 2, and two places in, in Revelation chapter 2, which is speaking about two different assemblies. Uh, 
Um, and you can, by reading this, you can see which assembly it was. Remember, there were seven different assemblies written about in chapter 2 and chapter 3. But Jesus says here, Jesus speaking in all these places, I have known thy works and thy labor and thy endurance and that thou art not able to bear evil ones and that thou hast tried those saying uh, themselves to be apostles and are not and hast found them liars. And thou didst bear and hast endured and because of my name has toiled and has not been weary. Uh, let's go on to through verse 6. But I have against thee that the first love thou didst leave. Remember then, whence thou hast fallen, and reform, and the first works do. And if not, I come quickly unto thee, and will remove thy lampstand from his place, if thou mayest not reform. But this thou hast, that thou dost hate the works of the Nicolaitans, and that I also hate. And then in chapter 2, verses 12 and 17, 12 through 17, this is to the other, another assembly in Pergamos. He, uh, write, he, Jesus says, write this. These things saith he who hath the sharp two-edged sword. I have known thy works, and where thou hast dwell, where the throne of the adversary is. And thou dost hold fast my name, and thou dost not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas, um, who was my faithful witness, who was put to death beside you, where the adversary doth dwell. But I have against thee a few things, that thou hast there those holding the teachings of Balaam, who did teach Balak to cast a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat idols sacrificed and to commit whoredom. So hast thou, even thou, those holding the teachings of the Nicolaitans, which I hate, reform, and if not, I come to thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now we take from these passages and others within the epistles the idea that the Nicolaitans um, were causing great trouble within the assemblies. And these are Christians that had come to this, some wild notions, if you will. Um, they were, had become apostate because in doing all these things, they ended up doing other things to confirm their message, which was uh, hideous in nature. They were apostates from the assemblies that the, and that the Christians were warned about. Uh, I think the warning started concerning these people around A.D. 49, maybe a little before, through 66, and after that, of course, the war in Jerusalem, and things got very quiet as far as uh, Christian writing. Now, this is history to us now, these actions and, and these movements. This is history to us now, but it was a real threat to those in the early assemblies. Now, some of the concepts that these people were promoting 
are still alive and well today. But as far as the, the effort um, uh, within the congregations that we're talking about here in particular, these things are history to us. Now remember, Revelation was written about A.D. 62, and um, uh, Jesus was very aware of these people, their works, their actions, and the things they were doing before A.D. 62, all right? Uh, long before that. So also this is part of the condition that we find in the days of Jude, in the days of the writing of of uh, First and Second Peter and and uh, Jude, and some of the later epistles, and I think these things were all coming from the area of Palestine. But th- these actions of the Nicolaitans were very strong in in Asia, within the, those seven churches in Asia, uh, within the congregations of uh, the Galatia and all of the uh, the rest through that area. In even into uh, Macedonia and into Greece. So this is the condition that was being warned against here uh, by Jude. And I, I think from, from that, uh, let's look at the text here this morning uh, for a few minutes that we have left. <clears throat> I'm just going to deal with the first four verses to start with. And we're looking at this from... The American Standard Version, as I said before, um, and as we read, just consider all we've spoken about so far, but Jude writes this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, while I was giving all diligence to write unto you of our common salvation, I was constrained to write unto you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered unto the saints." For there are certain men crept in privately, even they who were of old written of beforehand unto this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So that's how he starts his his, his announcement, his entrance into this epistle before he gets in particular things here. Um, you know, the tone in this letter is clear to see. Um, verse 1, we've kind of dealt with as far as the facts, um, as far as who Jude is and who his brother is and who the Lord is, and these sorts of things. But the tone here is clear to see in the words of Jude. Mercy unto you, he says. Peace and love. And that word love is the, is the Greek word for love in its fullest conceivable form. It's not just brotherly love. It's not just philanthropic love. It's 
agape love. Being multiplied. In other words, these things which are all from God, these things which are within the, the way, the way of Christ and in the body of Christ, let them be multiplied unto those receiving this letter. Now, because of that, I think that we cannot just say that the words of Jude, verses 1 through 25, which is the entire writing, as we can't call them just ramblings of religious zealots judging other Christians. No, this, this is to help defend the brethren from falling away in error. You see, it is possible to fall away in error, even though you have been once enlightened, even though you are in within in Christ. Because of error, you can fall away. Now, how are we doing with this task today? You know, there was a lot of it going on in the first century. We need to be busy about this work even now. And as I think about this whole concept about falling away in error, um, within Calvinism, which is, I think, the great virus that is 100% deadly, one of the tenets of Calvinism is that no one can fall away if they are truly saved. Of course, that stands in contrast to all that is written in Scripture and the words of the Lord himself and the apostles. They call it once saved, always saved. That's because you're saved before you're even born, and, you know, on and on and on it goes. Now, if that be the case, if everyone is saved and lost before they're born, then why why, and what of, if you will, what of the cross of Christ? What was the cross all about? You see, when we make a decision to become a Christian, we do so because of what God said he was going to do, send a redeemer. What we understand that the cross brought to us, forgiveness in the blood of Christ, and all that is taught concerning that. What of all of that? If we, are, if we have no way to be lost, once, if we're saved, that is, cosmically saved, no, no action of our own required. Uh, have you ever got anything in a box that didn't acquire some assembly? Well, it seems like it always does, even if it just broke off apart. So when it comes to our faith, when it comes to Christianity, there is a side of it that is our responsibility. And it's all because this is God's will for us. Um, Calvinism is wrong on this point. It's wrong on all five of its major points. And when one falls, they all fall. When one point is proven false, none of the rest can stand. So that's, I'll get down off the soapbox now, soapbox now on that and, and go on. But I believe this was the thing that, that he was doing. He was doing this out of love of the brethren Love for those that had come to Jesus of Nazareth, especially his Jewish brethren, and now the Gentiles. And he was seeing the work of God making two one in Christ. 
And it was a wonderful experience of that first century. Then in verse 3, you know, uh, when we read that, he's telling us as he was writing this, he had kind of a little change of thinking because of all that it was happening. I, I kind of phrase it this way. In my words, if I was writing it, I'd, I would say something like, I would like to think with you on the happy thoughts concerning our salvation and the delights of heaven. You know, that's that's great to talk about. But as I was thinking that, I was compelled, as Jude was, to exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered unto the saints. Now, what is Jude saying? He's saying what the restoration people that are are trying to restore the truth of God's word back to the congregations, back to the Christians, if you will. It's the restoration to return, to contend earnestly for the faith, not the faith or the um, uh the writings of men concerning the faith that we could call catechism or systemized religion or all of those things, they're very long and and drawn out. Creeds of all kinds, that's not the faith. The faith is found in the pages of our scripture, not in documents of denominational churches or anyone else. The faith which is the apostolic message, the words of the Lord himself and the apostles of Christ that was preached in the first century and today. Thank God. It was delivered once for all. Now the once sets it into a time frame, doesn't it? The faith that we're concerned with, that we need to know, was delivered in the first century by the apostles. It wasn't delivered in the 6th century or the 10th century following. It may have been spoke of correctly, but not delivered. It was delivered once for all unto the saints. And that means it is it stands by itself, upon itself, because it indeed has come, it is sublime. In other words, it has come from heaven it cannot be changed, altered, improved upon in any way. You know, I think you're getting my point here. So Jude is saying, I love, I love my life as a Christian, but I'm concerned about some things that are happening. Now why is he concerned? Because the truth, the truth, which is God's word, is under a relentless attack from many different places, and we know all the different places. The Judaizers were attacking it, trying to change it, modify it to fit Judaism so they wouldn't lose their place or whatever. The Nicolaitans, the Gnostics, um, the all sorts of spiritual uh, um, storytellers, spiritualists in all kinds, even the occult, all of these things were trying to attack, attack the way. Why? 
because because the adversary Satan knew that this this way this forgiveness in Christ by the blood of Christ destroyed his works within the world of men and none of this was a secret the people knew that these things were happening verse 4 he goes on to say certain men have crept in and I like how uh, Young's puts it unobserved they crept in unobserved in other words they may not have been really faithful and honest to start with, yet they crept into the assembly and said the words that brought them in to the faith and within the presence of the brethren. But they had other ideas too. And because of their teachings and the things that they were saying and doing, the people understood, if they understood the Old Testament, that they stood condemned even from the prophets of their father's days. They stood condemned. I, I think that's, that's a tragic situation. How many of these Nicolaitans do you think came back to the faith? I don't know. I don't know of any. Uh, the scripture doesn't talk about that. But there are some scriptures that I'd like to share with you right now because what were they doing? What were they doing? Well, first thing they were doing, they were turning the grace of our God, Jude says, into lasciviousness, which is carnal things, sinning uh, in a fleshly way, and calling it good uh, because that's not spiritual. That's just fleshly. You know, uh, this, of course, goes against the teaching of, of Judaism and Christianity. So it was the grace of God that was being attacked here with this. And also, because of that, they moved on, and they were denying our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They had to deny Christ many of the things he said and, of course, what the apostles were saying. Remember, the, the apostles had, they had people within the churches that were working against them, speaking against them, trying to cause division and draw people away. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 through 6. Then we'll go to Hebrews 10 for a couple verses. This is what the apostle Paul says about this issue of being an apostate for it is impossible for those once enlightened, having tasted also of the heavenly gift and partakers having become of the Holy Spirit and did taste the good sayings of God, the powers also of the coming age, and having fallen away again to renew them to the Reformation, having crucified again to themselves the Son of God, and exposed to public shame. That's a bad state. Let us look at chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. Since would they not have ceased to be offered because of those serving, having no more conscience of sin, having once been purified, but in those sacrifices is a remembrance of sin 
every year. Hebrews 10, 2 and 3. I think that's the wrong scriptures that I, I have. Um, but it, it's talking about uh, the scripture I'm looking for in chapter 10, I think, is speaking of trampling in, in, by your feet the very blood of Christ. And it's, it's in chapter 10. I believe it's later on. So, friends, um, this that Jude is talking about here is the fate of the impious and the godless men in Jude's day that were was right before the parousia. And even today, for those that are apostate out of the assemblies today, whatever and whatever they may be doing or saying, if this is your condition, uh, you can read these scriptures to find out your place, which was not a good place to be. Nonetheless, regardless of the Nicolaitans' teaching, the truth still stood. It continued and always will. So with that, we will pause in our lesson today and um, praying that you return next Next Lord's Day for these lessons will now be on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific time as we go through Jude, uh, looking at the the weightiness of it, uh, each verse by verse, as they say, phrase by phrase. And we bid you a good day. Amen.